Welcome to The Improver, the podcast that explores ideas in healthcare improvement and participatory change. Hosted by Dr. Naeem Ahmed and Lara Mott. Hello and welcome to The Improver. I'm Lara, CEO and co-founder of ImproveWell. I'm Naeem, consultant radiologist and also a co-founder of ImproveWell. We'd like to welcome Gerard Harkin. So Gerard is the Head of Innovation at Roche Diagnostics in the UK and Ireland and is a specialist in innovation. He has had over 28 years experience in innovation, both in consulting and commercial roles, an MBA and a degree in engineering. He's also the author of the ebook Innovation Unplugged and is passionate about bringing innovation to life in organizations so that every employee is part of the innovation team. So Gerard, welcome to The Improver. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. And um, I've got to admit, when Lara sent me the invite, I went, yes. And then I thought, (laughs) but I'm actually still learning about innovation. We've got to always remember that innovation is never just about, uh, about one person. So hopefully we'll kind of be co-creating uh, some kind of content and knowledge as we go through this. And if I can put a little kind of a, a, a bit of a disclaimer or a little bit of legal text on the bottom to say, sometimes I change my mind. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so in a few no, years time, people, no, no, <laughs> you know, people might say in a few years time, well, I remember on the improver, you mm-hmm. said this. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually still learning about innovation. So, but I'm really, really excited uh, to be here. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I know you, you know, you know, Lara and, um, and it's great uh, as an, as a friend of uh, Improve World for you, for you to have made this time to speak to us. So I guess um, it would be good just to get, uh, uh, you know, your journey itself in this innovation space and, um, if you could just give us some reflections and your journey so far to, to come here, would be so so fascinated to find out more. Yeah, sure. So I started my career um, really in tech. So for me, and this is going back, you know, the early 90s, it was all innovation was just about technology, it was about R&D and it was about products. And then, you know, every couple of years, I kind of got moved into a kind of a, a different kind of a role. And it kind of went from R&D and product and technology to, um, you know, lots of different technologies and services and then to business models and then kind of looking into the future, um, you know, 10 years into the future to understand what markets would look like in the future. And I kind of realized over the years that, um, you know, it's really about customers. You know, it's, a, it's, it's about people, it's about solving problems, and it's about kind of creating value from ideas. So I kind of started to think about innovation in a very, very different way. And it's also all about people. So I don't know if it's a spoiler alert, but I'm hoping we can talk about, um, you know, it's people and it's excitement and it's about making a difference. And, um, you know, if you're working in innovation and you don't get that it's about community and people and making a difference. And it's actually something that everyone in an organization should be doing then you're really kind of missing missing a trick as an innovation manager. So so keep on listening, maybe. Yeah. To this, no, I mean, uh, uh, you, you, this session. The, one of the things that comes across really strongly and um, is your your passion really to make innovation accessible for everyone, and it's not something just for like the the enthusiast. I mean, I was reading um, your book, uh, Innovation Unplugged, and. Um, I think it was just n- n- number one. The the thing that really struck me was that the fact that you'd made it so 
um, number one, it wasn't a long book. You could mm. you could finish it in about 45 minutes. So it, it means that that is accessible for everyone to, to read. But you've condensed an, an, a phenomenal amount of knowledge. And we, you know, we, we're hoping to talk about that today in terms of in 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 such a small book, uh, which is which is, must have been a really uh, really tough thing to do. Yeah. So t- can you t- just tell me about you know even how you went about actually putting those those top thoughts together in terms of get, getting that into that book? Well, first of all, I'm so sorry you had to read the book. <laughs> in all honesty, a couple of years ago, because I wrote the book five or six years ago, it was born a little bit out of frustration that. Um, people were talking about innovation in a way, in a different way than I actually knew it. So many business books nowadays are 240 pages yeah, long. I mean, they're right. actually all 240 pages long. And I, as a manager, I don't really have time to read those kind of books. So I wanted to bring it down to something that's, you know, 30, 45 minutes long. For me, innovation is about creating value from ideas or making a positive impact with ideas. Yeah. And you can see from, you know, from the ebook is ideas can be very, very small. They can be, you know, tiny little things, teams, changing how they meet, how they, how, how they talk to patients, how they talk to customers. It's tiny, tiny little things. Or they can be the big, big things. And they could be tech and they can be kind of non-tech as well. And so you have this massive big spectrum. And if you interpret innovation that way, everyone in the organization can kind of get involved. And we've kind of seen that, you know, where I worked over the last year. Or so, mm. you know, working in kind of healthcare diagnostics and we had, you know, we've had COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. We've had, you know, we've had the, the killing of George Floyd, which has dro- driven massive awareness in, in society about racism. We've had Brexit. You know, we've had staff on the front line in hospitals. We've had staff, you know, kind of working from home, trying to teach. You know, everyone knows somebody who's, who's had COVID and there's been that kind of worry and not been able to see them. So it's been this roller coaster of a year. And I think in most organizations, you know, or in some organizations, management would freeze. Mm. Management say we don't actually know how to how to address these kind of challenges and this turbulence coming our way. But luckily where I work, you know, we, we've got, and this is part of innovation for me as well. I've got a very flat management structure, um, highly collaborative culture, passion driven, you know, people who want to help patients. And when you have that culture, and it's for me, it's why culture is such an important part of innovation. When you have that, you know, you get teams rising up to the challenge. So although in the last year, it's been massive turbulence, it's created this swell of innovation where I work. It's, it's crazy. Actually, whenever I prepare a presentation on innovation um, at Roche Diagnostics UK and Ireland, where I work, by the time I've made the present, uh, presentation, it's out of date. Mm. You know I mean? Because <laughs> there's more and more examples. And we've seen that. I want to just pick out maybe a couple of examples because yeah, it's, nice. you know, um, Muna, who's a colleague of mine, she put together our, you know, Black Life Matters and uh, Black History Month last year, and it had a phenomenal success. And um, I said to her a few weeks ago, I said, Muna, do you know what? You're like, you're such a great innovator. And she said, what do you mean I'm an innovator? And I said, well, you're part of the team that came up with Black Life Matters and Black History Month. And that was an idea. That didn't yeah. exist. So you came up with an idea, you made it happen, and it had a positive impact. And she was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am an innovator. And I find myself saying that to lots and lots of people across the organization who are doing things that they take for granted or they don't connect with the fact that they are innovators. Mm-hmm. And we've done this amazing thing, really, uh, where I work, and we've captured all these stories. 
you know, these, these almost, that could be lost stories of great innovations across the organization. We share them across the organization. So we kind of get more and more people. We bring more and more people into the community. And so we're kind of, you know, we're, we're heading to a place where everyone in the organization, whenever they see a problem or an opportunity or a frustration, they, they think of ideas and, and they, they think about things that they could do to, uh, to make a difference. And it's, it's amazing. And to me, that's, you know, that's a big part of it. It's, it's human potential. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it can be really, really powerful when you see innovation that way. And, and not just, not just R&D and tech. I mean, that, that thing, which is, uh, I don't know, this idea that um, some organizations have um, about needing permission uh, to, 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 to innovate and um, that only, you know, like you, you mentioned only a business unit or a special, special ops or something need, needs to be able to, um, to, uh, to be able to innovate. And, and what you've said is that there's a power of social movements. So which we've yeah. seen, yeah. Um, you know, through things like Black Lives Matter, but also, um, you know, during the pandemic, we have seen, you know, people, just really rise up to a challenge. I mean, we had unfortunate the unfortunate death of uh, Sir Tom Moore, right? And we saw actually one person standing up and um, saying, you know what, I'm going to take the lead and, and try and make a difference. And the ripple effect that that's had across the, the whole country. So um, I really kind of um, buy into that, that, that thing that you're saying about everyone has that the potential to, to really make a difference. So you, you, over the last, 12 months it's obviously been an extremely you describe it as being turbulent you know we've seen you know some fantastic and some really unfortunate things happening um what in 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 terms of the innovation space uh, and particularly your time at Roche what are the couple of things that you think um have really piqued your interest uh and again looking forward uh what are you really excited about yeah you know it it has been it's been incredible, really, in the last um, year at Rush, um, where I work. We are a 125-year-old company, you know, amazing you know, investments in science and R&D and tech. So we were first with the um, antigen test. We were first in the world with the antibody test. We've launched 13, at least 13 products in the last year as well, wow. addressing the COVID challenge. So we've seen a lot of innovation in that space. We've seen people thinking about how to, you know, how to diagnose our, our testing equipment remotely, uh, how to service machines remotely. So we've seen a massive amount of innovation in that space for customers. But then we've also seen a lot of innovation because staff have been working so hard. So how do we actually kind of keep an eye on staff and make mm-hmm. sure? So we've had, you know, mental health and well-being ambassadors uh, put together, uh, you know, trained across the organization, um, you know, different ways that we're kind of helping our staff and managing their health and well-being, flexible working hours. And I'm highlighting that because it's so easy for us to think just about the tech stuff. Yeah. And actually, when you look at all these different examples of innovation that's happening, and it's, and it, it, and it's really people saying, I see a problem or a frustration or opportunity. I'm going to do something about it. I have an idea. I'm going to make it happen. And you know, I remember, Lara, a year or two ago, you were sharing with me some of the ideas, you know, from yeah. Improve Well, right? So some of the ideas yeah. that come into Improve Well from frontline staff, and it's, you know, some of it is small things. Yeah. And 
if they need to start asking for permission, you know, to, to spend 10 pounds or to prototype and stuff, I mean, it, the enthusiasm is going to get zapped, right? It's just not going to happen. Whereas if they just start saying, I'm going to give it a go, let me give it a try. What's the worst thing that could happen? Um, give it a go, tweak the process, um, make the change, bounce it off people, you know, do a trial, do a pilot, whatever it might be. And, you know, you've seen that in improve well, yeah. the difference that a lot of those ideas make, but also the, you know, <laughs> the people are, you know, they're, they're excited. Yeah. Right? It changes people. When you have an idea and you make it happen, it makes a positive impact. One of the, um, I, I also read your book, Full Disclosure. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it was, it was ahead of its time because um, talking about innovation, not just being about tech. And, and the, one of the sections that resonated with me was, you know, customer experience and how you can do things differently, delight your customers, think of doing something um, in, a, in, a, in a new way and, and solve a problem that isn't necessarily related purely through uh, technology. And I think that's something that we've certainly seen um, in, in the pandemic. What, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is it's very easy for us as a, a small startup um, being able to embrace change. I mean, we, we do it every single week. You know, we look back at the week before and we think, how can it be better? And we're very nimble. We can move quickly. But how, how do big organizations embrace that culture to sort of say, yeah, it is okay to give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? That's easy for us to say. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. fully believe that. But realistically, in a big corporate environment, for example, it's not, it's not that easy. Yeah, you know what? I've, I've actually learned a lot because I wrote the book five or six years ago. So I've actually learned a lot in the last few years because you really learn by doing this stuff. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, you can, you can learn the theories, but it's actually when your sleeves are rolled up and you're trying to make stuff happen, that's when you learn. And I've been doing a phenomenal amount of learning. So thanks, thanks to everyone at Rosh who's going to help me learn over the last couple of years. Um, and so there's a couple of, I mean, there's a couple of tricks. So having it as a company mindset, I'll, I'll just headline a couple of things that we're doing. Um, having it as a company mindset really kind of helps, right? So, at, you know, Rush Diagnostics Globally, we experiment and learn is, is, is now a global, it's one of our five global mindsets. So everyone has permission you know, to experiment, to help improve the business and to help customers. So that's, that's nice. one of the things. Um, I always think starting, starting with telling people, you know, that you're already an innovator or an experimenter, mm -hmm. proving it to them. So it's not something they need to change. It, it, that's who they already are. And we do this because at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to everyone in the organization uh, about experimenting. And I kind of start off by saying, you know, let's start off. Tell me something you've something new you've done in the last year outside of work where you've experimented and tried something new. And everyone's like, I did this, I did that. I did that. And so then we say, okay, so look, you're already are an experimenter, and uh, you know, and bring that more into the work environment because and it's getting the message across to people that you you've got permission to to try new things. And we then we also spotlight you know all of these examples, all these like hidden small little gems of experimentation or innovation that are happening. And we create stories out of them. We start telling stories across the business. We start highlighting people that are doing all these small little things. Um, it, it might be running a meeting in a different way. It might be recycling in a different way. It might be servicing the machine in a different way. It might be virtual training of customers. It might be the Black Lives Matters uh, yeah. month. And, 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 and spotlighting innovators and experimenters that need to be you know, uh, that need to be noticed and that has this magical effect of inviting more people into the community and you start to bring more and more people into the community and you highlight more and more what what they're doing 
um, you know, you, you reframe the F words, the failure words, you know, and you kind of work yeah. with teams and it's, it's about trying new things. It's about learning. Um, and, you know, it's, that's the starting point. You know, we, we could talk about this a lot, but what that starting kernel is, you know, it's something people are already doing. They're already innovating. They're already experimenting. Find examples, share yeah. those examples, create the community, ignite interest, pull people into that community. And, you know, get management to walk the talk as well. You know, get management to talk about what they're innovating, what they're experimenting. Gerard, on that, do you think that um, Lara spoke about um, us being a small organization? Uh, for example, in healthcare, they're obviously very big organizations. Do you think the rules of uh, engagement are different for them? Uh, and secondly, um, healthcare is a high risk uh, environment. And where, you know, a lot of pushback will be that um, it's all well and good, you know, doing it in the tech space or any other space. But when there's patients, you know, involved, it's a whole different, it's a whole different consideration. How would you kind of respond to those two challenges? So, I mean, so you're right, actually, you know, it's not like, you know, you're going to go from post note to pushing something out um, on patients. A lot of startups will approach me and they'll send me presentations. And I, you know, I often struggle to understand who's the customer, who's the patient, <laughs> what's the need, you know, what benefit are you actually delivering? Yeah. All I'm reading is 20 pages of technology. So I think there's working, you know, that early piece to understand who is the patient, who is the customer, what is the need, what benefit do we imagine we're going to be delivering to them? And then start building with evidence, prototyping, you know, the MVP kind of language, but rapidly prototyping, getting their early feedback, getting evidence. People want to scale really, really quickly, mm. but you do need to grow with evidence. And I think there are stages in, you know, and, and this is a good conversation because obviously there's a lot of innovation. I, I'm a big you know, igniting passion and getting everyone involved. And there's also kind of structured processes yeah. as well. So let's, you know, let, let's be clear about that. And, you know, going from idea up to concepts. And uh, but I think, yeah, early feedback, getting people on board, um, you know, having clinicians who are, you know, early ambassadors for the idea before you spend too much money, before you fall in love with technology. It's actually it's- a really important point. And Naeem, I know back in the beginning, before we started this business, I mean, Naeem saw the problem and yeah. he, you know, he, he got the sort of beta MVP off the ground with junior doctors. Um, and then as a, as a business, it's chicken and egg. How do you get the evidence base if no one's willing to, to try it first? But, uh, you know, we, I say we were lucky, you know, we worked hard to leverage our network and, and seize the opportunities and learn and learn and listen and partner with the right organizations and look at the data coming in. Um, so our, our entire business has been, has been founded on the evidence base. I mean, actually being evidence-based is one of our core values. Um, Cause I completely agree. I mean, you can have ideas coming in from, from, from your team, from your colleagues, from stakeholders across the spectrum, small things through to the large things. And there has to be process where process is needed in, in some of those. Um, but without the evidence base, I think people can get lost. You know, you can get overexcited about something and really over-engineer it. And, and actually it, it was probably okay, you know, in, in the first place, it might've needed a little tweak or, 
Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, particularly in the world of tech, you can get super excited about, um, I mean, Naeem and I always, always have conversations, don't we, about um, <laughs> different, different new Every- things that we can do and, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you can, it's addictive, you know, and sometimes you just have to think, actually, we've, we've solved this problem really well now. Now we're going to, you know, move, move on to something else. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, it's, it, and it's that thing as well, Lara, that, you know, we might think we need 100% of the evidence, um, but actually maybe, maybe 60, 70% is enough at that point in time mm-hmm. just to make the idea even better. And yeah, I mean, I listened to the first part, podcast you did as well. And I mean, your idea, it's changed. It was called something else, right? At the start. <laughs> Propeller or Propeller, I'm impressed. Yeah. So, so there you go. So there you go. And it's, and it, and it's, and it's, you know, it's changed and the, the, the team has changed and, and everything. And you put, you've built it on evidence. And it's one of the things we say to teams as well. And it's really kind of simple. It's, you know, what assumptions are you making about, you know, customers, about mm-hmm. manufacturing, about, you know, value? And what evidence do you have that those assumptions are true? And whenever you, there's a gap between an assumption and evidence, that's when you, you need to get the evidence, right? You need to up, you need to dial up the evidence. And, and that could be something quick and easy focus groups and on that the the second part of that question was um the size matter does it mean that you can only do these type of changes in small organizations and i know you refer it to to in your book um but do you think that um that you know large organizations can do this or you know is it this whole thing about being disrupted and and uh, moving too slowly or can 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 organisations actually get it right? Yeah, so <laughs> it's like that's a big question. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that, that occupies the minds <laughs> of <laughs> academics. You know, we're here to ask, we, there were no easy questions today. Yeah. No, no it, it, yeah, and, and you know the, the tanker versus the speedboat, and and can big corporations change? And I think, yeah, I mean, I I think big big companies can change. I mean, so some examples, and this, you know, the last few months I've been. Um, exposed to, you know, ecosystem and platform thinking um, and, you know, looking at companies like Hire, H-A-I-E-R, who, I, I don't know if you've come across them, but they were, you know, a, a near bankrupt Chinese fridge maker 30 years ago. I know they're the biggest appliance maker in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they acquired GE Appliances. And as, as a case study, Hire is an amazing, amazing company to look at because they've spent 30 years innovating how they actually operate as a business, um, a kind of micro enterprises. And it, it's absolutely kind of fascinating to see what they've done. So they're an example of the biggest appliance maker in the world um, who are, you know, uh, very, very, very lean, dare I say, agile. Um, you know, all of their product areas and business, they're all like startups, they're all entrepreneurial uh, uh, businesses. So yeah, I think big companies are able to do that. And I think, you know, I think it's, so, so my experience, so the, 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 the more hierarchical and the more siloed you are, the more difficult the change is going to be, right? Um, you're just going to be too slow because orders pass down and they pass up and there's confusion and they don't go horizontal. So there's not many companies like that anymore at organizations, but the ones that are, they're just not going to survive. And, um, and I think as well, if you... And, and not that we're not that we're trying to put together a recipe for how to do this because it, it's a big big question. But I think if you don't really get that everyone in your organisation is equal, 
everyone brings a different perspective um, that it's, you know, culture and the, you know, a, a, an atmosphere where people can speak up and express their ideas and pick things up and, you know, and that everyone can potentially lead. I mean, you know, I've seen that, you know, at Roche where, you know, we think, I mean, we believe everyone can lead. So, so say there's a project and like a senior manager should run it. If a junior person is better skilled at running that project, the junior person will run the project. And that kind of helps propagate change and change in mindsets in an organization as well. It kind of dismantles the kind of the, that kind of layered management and hierarchical thinking and ignites more potential. And so I think the cultural piece is really kind of important. Um, and big companies can big companies can change for sure. Yeah. Um, they won't always be as fast, right? So they won't always well, they won't always be as fast as a little startup, right? They're not able to pivot as quickly. I mean, most of you know, what you have said is um, is great if it was an equal equal system and we lived in an equal society. Um, and I know this is a is an area that you're particularly really passionate about, uh, and you've spoken really strongly about it. And in fact, um, you started by talking about Black Lives Matter. Um, how much of the uh, just in tech and in terms of innovation um, does the whole equality agenda? Where does that sit in it? And um, you'll read a lot in the press uh, about. You know, Laura and I talk about it, about female founders and the fact we're both from ethnic minorities and we're leading this uh, startup. And will we have the same shot at, you know, raising funds, et cetera? Um, what, 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 what's your experience been? And, 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 and do you buy that in terms of fairness? <laughs> well, no, I, I, com- completely. I think it's, you know, we are, I think there's a lot of, as I said, the killing of George Floyd has, has driven a lot of, you know, change a lot of kind of self-reflection um i mean at rush we had um you know a lot of colleagues we ran a number of sessions and colleagues just talking about you know what they've had to deal with um in their lives and and even you know on the way to work and you know abuse on social media so it's really kind of gone deep for us um in rush and bringing about change all the way up to you know the very uh, the highest levels the ceo if you can if you go on twitter and linkedin you'll find our, our ceo and our, our small senior team talking about massive changes that are taking place in rush around diversity um, and inclusion and if i bring it back to you know to innovation as well there's so much to talk about because it's it's you want everyone in the organization to you know be equal to express their ideas and be able to contribute and be able to speak up and you know sometimes i say to i say to teams you know does the innovation team does the diversity of the innovation team represent diversity of your customer base <laughs> you know and if not you better do something about it wow and you know and, and for me you know a personal kind of a story many years ago i was leading a team was like six white guys and we were developing concepts primarily for women and in the first concept testing a woman walked in and she looked at the concept and she said i can tell there's no women on the innovation team and it was the biggest kick on the ass for me in my career i thought i am never i was just i was just so caught up in 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 the concept that it never occurred to me to to actually are we representative of of is there any diversity i said it, it was six white guys on the innovation team so i think in all honesty i think Making mistakes is massive 
you know, awareness check-in for ourselves as well. And it's, so I've never, ever made that mistake again. And, you know, I'll always, you know, and, I'll, and it's a simple question really for anyone. If you're involved in innovation, say to the innovation team, you know, do we represent the diversity of our customer base? Um, and if not, do something about it. And, and then there's also the other diverse perspective. So have we, ta- you know, from an innovation perspective, have we taken on board who's going to implement, who's going to sell? And, and you know, pull in perspectives from HR, from finance, from, from different people as well. But that's the obvious stuff, right? Just putting in different perspectives. And grads, I mean, we had an apprentice, by the way, at Rush, and he came up with this amazing idea. I mean, it's, it's gone global. And it, oh, wow. it, the point I'm making there is it, it would be, you know what I mean? It's, it would be easy sometimes to say, oh, well, you know, an apprentice, they're only 18, you know, they've, they've, you know, give them a bit of time and they'll have great ideas. But actually, you know, when you, when you get that out of your mind and just look at everyone has great potential to, to bring in great ideas. And, you know, I think that's where, so for me, it, it comes back to kind of that self-awareness, asking questions, driving change. Um, are we where we need to be from the DNI perspective, you know, globally? No, absolutely not. Um, is there a lot of positive change taking place? Yeah. And that's really, that's really important. And I think it ties back into, um, you know, having this authenticity and being able to, um, you know, have, having, having all of those voices uh, uh, in, and given an equal footing within organizations uh, is, is incredibly important for progress, right? And so that's... Uh, yeah, that, that, absolutely. That's... And, and it makes sense, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like we, we hire all these smart people mm. and we want to hear their points of view on things, you know? And, you know, if, you know, there was a colleague who had been, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, he had uh, suffered a lot of kind of um, a racial attack on the way to work, you know? Mm. And... Um, you know, important, you know, when you arrive and work, if you went through that, you, you want to be right. You want to be able to talk to people about them. Imagine being in an environment where you have to hold on to that. You couldn't be yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so actually being able to, you know, open up and, and be surrounded by a community of people. And to be honest, we're blessed in Rosh Diagnostic. Again, we've got 42 different cultures, um, you know, in, in our, you know, 650 staff, we've got 42 different cultures. So we, we, we try to represent, you know, our customer base. For me, none of the, this stuff is, it's, it's all a no-brainer. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like so obvious. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. why do we even have these issues? It's, mm. it's, 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 it's crazy. It's so, it's so funny because, and I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is a, is a personal thing or whether this is a, a sign of change of the times, but I know earlier on in, in my career, you know, my first sort of, big job when I was 23 and I inherited all these pharmaceutical and biotech kind of customers and I was dealing with chief execs and board members and I remember thinking to myself well I can't bring my personality to work you know I have to be super professional at all times now again this could just be me so it's it's, I'm interested to hear your views on this but I feel like now you 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 can you know the, the lines are kind of blurred between work life and social life and you know you, you absolutely I feel anyway you can be yourself you know I I couldn't 
for the life of me think of you know texting one of my customers um or one of my clients you know back when I was 23 you know everything was sort of super you know formal maybe that was the corporate world but you know now you sort of you got whatsapp and twitter you're, you're dming people you know you <laughs> yeah. people and twitter twitter's a good example you can really get a sense of uh, what people are like outside of the day job and outside of the um yeah. the suit or the or the the white coat or whatever it is do you think that's just you know a sign of the times maybe twitter's really helped that but what, what's your view on how it was yeah. sort of 15 <laughs> years ago yeah yeah well i'm, I'm thinking because we met on twitter we because did. We did. an nhs trust <laughs> you know, at the right place at the right time because you know, in twitter no, it's just like psh, it was do you know what yeah. it was i messaged you you added we, we you followed me on twitter and i was being super polite saying thank you for the follow and i'd read your bio <laughs> And I said, um, looks like we've got shared shared passions. And that was actually, I did check this. This was May 2019, would you believe? So the Twitter sphere brought us together. And then we had a meeting at our offices. And um, yeah. we really had a deep and meaningful conversation about um, Irish tea. Yeah, um, Bar- Barry's versus Lions and, for all the Irish listeners. Exactly. And Barry's won, I think. But we did have is. a, a, a long is. debate in the office. But it's kind of unbelievable, really, that, you know, and I that I could just connect with you on Twitter and message you. And, you know, now here we are. So where I currently work, I really feel that I can just be myself. And that's, that's what, you know, all of my you know, colleagues feel the same as well. And when you've got that culture where you can just be yourself, because I've worked in other places and, you know, you feel like you've got to speak in a certain way or articulate things in a certain way and just letting people be who they are. And then that also drives name, that kind of richness of just, you know, welcoming and accepting people for whoever. You don't have to be anyone else. I mean, imagine the relief when I joined Rush. It's like, I don't have to be anyone else. I can actually just be myself. This is brilliant. I don't need to contain my passion and box it up, you know. So it's, um, it's great. It's, it's, and, I, and I think you're right, Lara. I think a lot of the social media, it brings people together. I mean, when I saw, because it was a trust had tweeted about, how great Improve Well was, right? And then I was like, ah. And then it was kind of a similar passion then. Yeah. You're innovating, helping people in the NHS to come up with ideas and, and implement those ideas. And, you know, so we're kind of, you know, we've got similar pathways, really. You know, we all want the same outcomes, right? Definitely. Which is people, people living longer. If, Gerard, we've spoken about experimentation. We've talk, spoken about, um, you know, improvement. Uh, and one of the things that holds yeah. us back really is this fear of failure, which you said, yeah. that, which you said really nicely was the F word. Successful people like yourselves have obviously had failures along the way. And um, it will be really interesting to know um, what you learned from them and uh, what happened. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I work in the innovation space. You know, so, yeah, for, I mean, for me to say, do you know what? After twenty-eight years <laughs> in innovation, I don't actually nothing think I've had any failures. Yeah, I've had loads <laughs> of failures. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, all of the time. Um, I mean, so at the moment we're, we're driving this culture of experimentation across the UK and Ireland. And um, but a, a year and a half ago, I thought I'll, I'll create this like experimentation card. I'll create this card and I like, give it to everyone, and, and that's it. You know, everyone will start experimenting, and it just didn't. It just didn't happen. And for me, there was a massive, you know, it was a way, and you create the website, create the website, download the tool, make the video, bang, email it to everyone. 
And then you kind of realize, actually, you got to really kind of, that's the safe way of doing innovation. And it's kind of, you got to really kind of stick your neck out. You got to like start going to the senior management team saying, right, this is happening. I want you guys to start talking about experimentation. I want you to stick your neck out. Um, running all of these sessions and running these like small, you know, five person group sessions and close intimate conversations with everyone. Um, you putting up awards. I mean, really kind of putting lots of different things in place in order to scale experimentation based on that initial failure of thinking, Oh, you know, make it, make a tool and create a website. And the example I shared earlier about, you know, having, the, having all the men, you know, the men on the innovation team mm. and it, what, what a colossal, um, failure and then you know sometimes I can get quite excited about stuff so I will kind of go from idea to solution quite quickly so ah, this is the solution so I kind of prematurely converge on the solution and and that's often a failure for me because actually I've got to you know you've got to involve more people you've got to socialize with more people you've got to um, you know make sure you're not just going from idea to solution very, very quickly. And that's happened to me, you know, quite a bit. So it's been a learning for me, you know, as an innovation manager, sometimes maybe to just, you know, slow things down, bring more people on board. When I saw you present in Ireland, um, you proposed a new metric for innovation and innovation <laughs> culture based on Benjamin Zander's quote in The Art of Possibility about shining eyes. Could you share that quote and talk to us about yeah innovation yeah so that was and that was me kind of you know kind of sticking my neck out a little bit as well so to kind of set the scene yeah it was in Ireland and it was to a large group of uh, clinicians and you know with innovation culture it's just so easy to have all these you know number prototypes customer insight blah 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 I was kind of proposing this shining eyes um, as a metric. And for those of you who don't know Benjamin Zander, check him out. Google Benjamin Zander, shining eyes. He's the Boston Philharmonic uh, conductor. He's, he's the amazing, amazing uh, person. Does a lot of leadership development and stuff. But he came up with this quote, and it's his definition of success. So he says, for me, it's very simple. It's about how many shining eyes I have around me. And, um, and so th there isn't any hidden meaning <laughs> in that quote, you know, it's how many shining eyes you have around you. And it's, um, you know, if you're an innovation manager, look around. If you haven't got people who are passionate and alive and, you know, want to make an impact and want to make a difference and are creative, you know, and, and really, you know, contributing. But, but you see it in their eyes. You know, you actually see like really kind of happy, passionate people. And if they're not there, you're actually doing something really wrong as an innovation manager. And I'll share a secret with you. So when we met for coffee at, a, at Improve Well, we're looking out over, over London City. And then Lara said, you know, do you want to meet the team on your way out? I'm like, damn straight, I want to meet the Improve Well team. <laughs> so she opens the door and behind this door were all these shining eyes. Like, all of these like happy you know, passionate, you know, driven <laughs> people. I, I just looked into this room and I saw all these shining eyes. So, you know, both of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and I just thought it's such a great quote, you know, a measurement of success is just how many shining eyes you have, you know, looking back at you. I love that. And That's brilliant. That is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. That is brilliant. <laughs> we are going oh. to take at, without any apologies and share that everywhere because <laughs> brilliant thing. Uh, uh, and we, you know just it's been brilliant to talk to you 
and uh, you know to to get your your humility but also your your continued passion for uh, innovation but you know something that obviously resonates with both Laura and I which is about values and and that's you know that's come re you know we we've tried to instill that um within everything that we do and 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 we're so you know grateful and humbled actually to have someone like yourself to to share this uh this time with so thank you well i mean thank you so much for um inviting me along it's it's been great one of the things that we do in in these sessions is featuring one of ideas uh, which is called small but mighty so a small change that can make a big impact Um, and this one is one that actually one of our customers suggested very early on and and I was really impressed with it so it's called um, an amnesty box and it stems from the problem that um, clinical staff going about their jobs throughout the day are filling their pockets with uh, swabs and tape and and all sorts of equipment that they you know then might just take home put in the bedside drawer and forget about it and you know six months later it all goes in the waste or it goes in the bin um, and someone had a lovely idea of putting a box in the clinical changing rooms to say look empty your pockets and we will reuse anything that we can reuse um, and then they they count that up um, each week and it's been estimated to be saving um, between two thousand and four thousand pounds a year um, in in just one sort of clinical change um, room so if you replicated that across an organization you could actually make a big impact um, it was something that we really loved yeah I think it's I think it's great because it's s- something small that you can prototype very very quickly so we're probably talking about a cardboard box and, yeah. and driving a little bit of awareness yep it costs nothing to prototype and test and uh, and it works and it's delivering a real kind of an impact and you say that's that's across one area you know multiply 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 and then and then you know you could i mean we could keep on talking i mean because you have my attention now right so <laughs> you know because it's it's about it's about waste Absolutely. You know, so where else where else is there waste and where, where else can we repurpose things that make it easy for people to recycle um, and save money so it opens up the whole uh, cost savings um, potentially as well and I mean so I think it's great I mean it's small things like that you, you prototype that within so I have an idea an amnesty box bang here it is in it goes put up a sign and, and actually so- to your point about communicating and communicating and, and showing people what's great you know this particular idea was going around Twitter they were doing it every week they were like here is the latest goodies from the amnesty box it was lovely so Gerard, we heard today about experimentation, about your journey in innovation and about your passion for equality. We've really enjoyed the conversation today and we just want to thank you for joining us at The Improver. Thank you so much, Naeem and Lara. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great fun uh, talking to the two of you and uh, thanks so much for the invite. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. The Improver is a production of Improve Well Limited. Thank you to today's guest, Gerard Harkin. To find out more about the Improve Well solution, visit improvewell.com. Subscribe to The Improver at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.